Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. 7400 plus dollars this year for the 5K. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that is the biggest year by far. And once again, thank you. This city has um, been indelibly impacted by that. Not only has, has shown that we are truly people who love, not just in word, and, but also in deed. And I'm looking forward to what they're going to do as they rehab Swearingen Park. Uh, with those monies and then on top of those monies the city as we continue to love our neighbor as ourself hey wasn't uh, worship wasn't worship great today wow wasn't worship great today weren't those songs like spot on right I mean they that song that set list was perfect wasn't it I came in a couple weeks ago and I looked at Sarah and I said listen I got the last two weeks. I'm picking the songs. But it made me think about one thing I want to mention in the course of these last two weeks. I think we need to just take a moment and realize how good we have it. It has been an absolute blessing as a pastor to know that when I come up to preach, we've worshipped already. That there has been time, energy, talent, all of it has been woven together to help us worship through music. And I'll tell you what, we're blessed. And it's a blessing to me, and I hope you understand how blessed you are for our worship department led by Ben, led by Sarah and so many volunteers even right now where you don't see it there's people in that room making this happen for people who can't be here or who are browsing the internet and who need to hear the truth it all happens because man this is so good and uh, can we just say thank you to them they are awesome and it has been a blessing for me to not even have to worry about that part of the service and just to know the stage is going to be set for the preaching of the word so what do you say when you're winding down I probably spend a lot of or most of the time just saying thank you and could literally fill the next two Sundays with appreciations. What do you say? Not saying goodbye, but saying see you later. Amen? That's what we believe. That's who we are. I wrestled with what to say. I'm grateful for the peace that I feel in my spirit that I don't have things left unsaid. Some of you are like, amen. 
You said it, and then you said it again, and then you said it again. And our services turned from 60 minutes to 70 minutes because you kept saying it. I do feel a peace about not having left things unsaid. But I thought about what do you say, and about a month ago it hit me. When I write a letter, it's been become my practice to simply sign the letter with the words that Paul always used. Grace and peace. I mean, every time he writes, he's either introducing his letter with grace and peace to you. Or ending it with some kind of this idea. Three letters that he writes to individuals, Timothy and Titus. He adds the word mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace. But I was affected by that early on in reading the scriptures and just thought, that's exactly what I would want to say to someone. When I'm saying, you know, we say sincerely or in Christ or with deepest wishes or warmest regards, whatever you sign your letters with. I just thought, I'm just taking Paul's, it's, I don't think there's anything better. Grace and peace. I mean, look at the, the way he starts Ephesians. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to spend just these last two Sundays talking about those two words. Talk about grace talk about peace what does he mean by that why does he enter why does he start saying that to him why does he keep talking about these words through his epistles why does he sign off at times with these themes what is it about grace and peace that if this is my last two times in this capacity to share from the word why should this matter why does it matter and so today I just want to remind you of this word grace grace is the basis and foundation of the Christian life grace peace is the result and the fruit of the Christian life grace is the basis peace is the fruit of the Christian life. And I want to remind you this morning that the basis of our relationship with God is grace. It's grace. How to describe grace? It's that Greek word, charis. It means unmerited favor. Grace is God's love and kindness toward those who are undeserving. Grace means that God does not give us what we deserve and instead gives us grace and blessings that we do not deserve. Translated in the New Testament, it's favor, blessing, kindness. Grace is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us as our sin deserves. Mercy, mercy, the word mercy is the word that means withholding a punishment that we deserve. 
we speak of the mercy of God. But grace goes beyond that. Not only is it withholding punishment that we deserve, but grace is then giving a blessing that we don't deserve. Paul can't stop talking about it hundreds of times. Jesus can't stop modeling it. Even though, do you realize Jesus never, it's recorded in scripture, never uses the word grace. He just lived it. And Paul articulates it and says, you want to know what grace is? You want to know how God feels about you? You want to know the posture of God's heart toward his creation? It's, it's the basis of our relationship with God is summed up in this word, grace. I'm trying to think about how can I maybe articulate that out a little bit? How can I say something that maybe sticks with them? And I'm, I'm always brought back to that scene from Les Mis, um, that honestly, before I met Nicole, I didn't even know the story. Now that I've met her and went to the play and watched the movie and all these other things, it, what a what a classic! But in that in that story, you're introduced to this this character, Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean in the beginning of the movie is is in that time in Paris when I mean it is. It is deplorable. The conditions are terrible. Right? People starving. Families starving. The gap between the wealthy and the the rich and the poor is wide. And you're introduced to Jean Valjean. And one of the first things he does is he becomes a criminal because he steals bread to feed a starving family. His starving family. He becomes a criminal because of that. And because of him trying to do something for somebody, he is prosecuted in that system and begins to live the life of a criminal. And it begins to kind of filter into who he is and what he does and how he sees life. He's marked criminal. And there's that transitional scene in the movie where Jean Valjean is is a wandering man he, he's been released from prison because, of his, because he served his time, but he's lost completely. He's, he's, he's damaged goods. He's man without a purpose. And the scene is he wanders in as a man who is homeless pretty much. He finds himself at, at the local cathedral and he's taken in for a night by the kind bishop of that congregation they feed him they treat him warmly they give him a warm bed to sleep in the scenes of the movie and the facts of the story is as he lays there in that uh, church facility he can't stop thinking about all the silver that he's seen on the tables And his life has become warped into the life of a criminal that he sees an opportunity. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean gets up and stealthily goes in and steals the silver from the bishop in the church. And he slips into the night. The next scene in the movie is you see him being drunk back into that church building by the police. They've caught him. 
They've surmised that this is what he's done. And they're bringing him back to the people he's wronged. And there's that powerful scene where they drag him before the bishop and say, is this not the man who has taken your silk? And in that moment, the bishop looks at him and says, oh, he is the man who we gave the silver to. And he actually, you forgot to take, and he goes and grabs some more silver, some candlesticks, and puts them in his bag. To which the police don't know what to do. And they walk away. In that moment, the bishop is able to look at Jean Valjean and say, this is what you need to understand about grace. Grace is not only not getting what we deserve. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. In fact, it's, it's said this way, John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. What is God like in this, this most brilliant, this final act of revelation to the world in, his self, in himself through his son, Jesus Christ? This is what you need to know about God. It's Jesus and Jesus comes and he's full of what? Grace and truth. Those scriptures go on to say this, verse 15 and then 16. It says, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What John is trying to to introduce to his readers and to us through the written word is that this God comes full of grace, but it's this God who's always been gracious. And it's a God who stacks grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's God who's always moved graciously toward his people. He's moved graciously in creation. He's moved graciously in calling out a people when there became a lost and fallen world. He's even moved graciously in giving his law to help us understand our great brokenness and need of him. It's always been the grace of God moving toward one position and that is to receive us back to himself as his children. And John's just saying it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's just what he does. He keeps stacking it up. How does God act toward us? Graciously, graciously. The psalmist over and over uh, so beautifully articulates this for us. The Lord is, is slow to anger and he's gracious. This said word of loving kindness. This is who God is. Grace upon grace upon grace. What should I know about God going forward? Well, I should know about God going forward what has been God all before. He's gracious. His disposition is always grace. Always grace. We really can't understand who a Christian is called to be until you understand grace. I mean, listen to the words of Ephesians. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's by grace that you've been saved. I would ask you to listen to these words I want to read to you. This is my life. This is your life. This is truly who we are without grace. I am powerless over myself. And my life is unmanageable. Without grace, that's me. I am a mess on my own. I am powerless over my own ego. My life is unmanageable and I need God. Left to myself, I will waste my one and only life in stupid ways. I will damage and neglect relationships. I will make idols of success and my reputation. I will dishonor my sexuality. I will use words which I'm supposed to use for God to deceive people. I will use people for my own advancement when I'm supposed to serve the church. I will serve myself instead of serving others. Greed will rule my wallet. Resentments will fill my heart. Pride will govern my choices. Ego will just dominate my life. Left to myself, I will spend a pathetic existence trying to polish my outer image and hide so no one sees what an egocentric sinner I am inside. If successful in this, I go to my grave a respectful fraud. I am a mess. And I need God. How many of you would say amen to that this morning? If you can't say amen, you need to see that's who we are. Somewhere in there, you fit in some of those categories. The only hope we have is grace. The only hope we have is something outside of ourselves. We live in a try harder, do better, self-improvement, look inside, find the best parts of you, feed the good and not the bad. You ever hear these things that always are being parroted out there over and over? We're really good. We just need to find it. No. You and I are like the words of Romans. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. This is you, this is me.
The only hope is the grace of Jesus Christ. In other words, the starting point for spiritual life is obviously not what people think it is in this world. It's not I will put increased effort into trying to become a better person. It's not to say I'm going to try harder today. I'm going to try harder to hold my tongue or be nicer uh, or read the Bible more. None of that will fix the inherent issue of our hearts. It will always fall The only hope is you and I encounter the grace of God. Romans 2 says, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that causes men to repent? That's it. What causes us to turn from ourself? It's the goodness, the grace of God. It's the only hope. I love that simple story that, uh, that took place about 13 years ago. It's a baseball story, but um, it was uh, the Phillies and the Nationals were playing, and it was a pennant race game, and, and there was a Phillies fan, Steve, who was um, sitting with his three-year-old daughter, Emily, in the, in the first part of the upper deck, right? He took his little three-year-old daughter to the game. And sure enough, in the middle of that game, a foul ball is hit up into the upper deck, and it comes right to Steve. Like, I was at a baseball game Monday night. Like, you're trying to get a ball, right? That's a cool thing. It's like a dream. Not a dream, but it's like, yeah. And sure enough, it comes right to Steve. And Steve... Just being the good dad he is, he takes this ball, which he really wanted, and he hands it to his three-year-old Emily. This was caught on TV cameras. To which Emily looks at the ball and then throws it back on the field. And in that moment, the story's so cool because, you know, like, at first, the first initial reaction, I see, well, but then how he reacts to Emily is such a beautiful picture. Instead of chastising her, he just picks her up and hugs her. <laughs> Rather than getting irritated, he does what a loving father does. He wraps his daughter in a tender embrace. This is the way God loves us. <laughs> He puts gifts into our hands that we can never catch for ourselves. And we're without realizing sometimes, but then oftenly, stubbornly, what do we do? We throw them away. And yet, he loves us again. You know, religion places the emphasis on Principles, precincts, codes, creeds. The gospel places the emphasis on a person. And if there's anything I hope that I've helped maybe you encounter or understand a little better or at least reminded you of, is this the grace of Jesus Christ. Religion says attain by your own deeds. The gospel says attain by what Jesus did. 
religion places the prime emphasis upon your doing, the gospel places the emphasis upon being. Religion claims man's merit in the work he does. The gospel calls on God's mercy in the work that he did. Religion says attempt the gospel. The gospel says attempt to receive the gospel. Religion says try. The gospel says trust. Religion says develop yourself. The gospel says just deny yourself and trust Jesus. Religion says man is good. The gospel says man is not. Religion is always threatened by Jesus' teaching on grace. Why? Because religion is do, do this and do that, and you might make it. The gospel says it is done. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then out of this relationship, your life, as Ephesians 2 says, we're by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Grace. 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 That's why my favorite verse in all of the scripture is this. Most people know the verse before this. This is my favorite verse in all the scripture. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. And that's why as I finish, I want to remind you And my greatest hope for you, for me, for this place, is that it will be grace-filled. That everything we do is built, the basis of the foundation is grace. Grace. That we would understand our Father in this context that we would avoid the pitfalls and the traps of becoming an organized religion, that we would be a place that simply always offers one another and a dying lost community around us one thing, Christ loves you, Christ died for you, Christ offers you new life. And it doesn't matter where you came from, what you've done, how many times you've failed, The posture of God every day is this, grace. That's why the writer of Lamentations says, great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Grace. But it wouldn't be me if I didn't also then go a little bit farther with grace because this is my favorite part about grace. Titus says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's what we just talked about. But he goes on, and as the scriptures go on, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present You see, I thought about this 
okay, so understanding grace. And I would just say grace and peace to you. Peace is a cool word. We're going to talk about that next week. But grace, live in grace, be grace-filled. But to understand grace is to understand, yes, it's getting what you do not deserve and, and place, and then also getting, it's getting what you didn't, anyway, you get it. I'm starting to be a little, uh, you didn't get it, and now you got something else, and wow, what a deal. That's grace. But part of that deal of what he offers to us is this unbelievable hope that you and I, you and I's new life in him can cause our lives to become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. This is what he's doing. This is the goal. This is the aim. This is why grace is now in our life to energize our lives, to empower and strengthen our lives to be made into the image of his son, Jesus isn't that what Romans 8 says? That what God has always planned, what he preordained, the idea that he had in his mind is that his creation would ultimately be conformed to the image of who he is, Jesus Christ. And in the salvation he offers, he's got one goal in mind. I'm going to call people out. Ephesians 1.4 said that before the foundation of the world, God predetermined that he was, he was going to call out and have a holy people. Right? This is what grace does. This is why I would say grace to you. Live every day drinking deeply from the grace of God. Not that you're earning anything. You're just landing hard on the mercy of God. You're trusting in the grace of God. You become a child and a gracious God just as sometimes we throw that ball back on the field. So many of us have grown up with a God who like, smacks our hand or berates us. That's not grace. God is just like, all right, here's another ball, in essence, right? But then that grace that God imparts into our life is to do one thing. It is to begin to conform our lives, to transform our lives into his so the basis of our relationship with God is grace. The thriving of our relationship with God is by grace. I thought about the growing of our relationship, the developing of our relationship, the, all these words, and I just came to the word thriving. God created you and I to thrive, and we thrive when, we, when we're conformed to his image. And that only happens not by do harder, try harder. It only can happen as God is in us through his grace working in our heart. It's kind of this idea, story I read about Paul who was uh, trying to disciple another guy in his church. And <clears throat> they set up this uh, aggressive plan of discipleship. And there was this area that um, Paul's friend William had that he, he just felt like needed to change in his life. He couldn't stop his habit of profanity. He just continued. He'd come to the Lord, but he, was, he just kept cursing all the time, and it bothered him, and he knew that the Scriptures had said, hey, clean it up, you know, like don't be vulgar, don't be profane, and he couldn't stop it. And So Paul's working with William, and they, they set up this plan, pretty aggressive, that um, 
he would report how many times he cussed during the week and he'd pay, put $5 in the offering plate for every time he cussed. Do we need to do that? Building project? No, I hope not. I hope the only thing we can build is a yard barn or something. If that's the <clears throat> first week, it cost him 100 bucks. In the following weeks, he improved somewhat, but he just wasn't having success. And he was starting to lose a lot of hard-earned cash. The fourth week, <clears throat> Paul told him that he wanted to change the deal. He wouldn't tell him how, but he just said, trust me. Trust me. So the next Sunday before worship, <clears throat> William was looking down, obviously having failed again this week. And Paul <clears throat> put out his hand, put a hand on his shoulder and said this. William, this is going to cost you both less and more. It's called Grace. And with that, he takes a check out of his own pocket. He dates and signs it and leaves the amount blank. Then he says, here, whatever you need to pay, put in the amount. I signed it. The stint still costs, but for you, it's, it's free. Just fill in the numbers, and guess what? Next week, it'll be the same deal. The first week, he filled out a check for 55 bucks. The second week, 20. And the third week, zero. It began to cost William too much to fill in those checks. You see, this is what God's wanting to do in our lives. Because of his graciousness to us, the only reasonable response with our life is to trust our life with him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, one of my favorite verses again. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You see what Christ did is he sends to us the Holy Spirit in his gracious love for us. He now has given us himself. And the grace that works in us is when we just simply allow the Holy Spirit to begin to fashion and mold and shape our lives. He's saying grace is you didn't get what you deserved. In fact, I'm going to give you something you definitely didn't deserve. I'm going to give you myself. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God through the empowering, indwelling Holy Spirit. And the grace of God flows in my life when I'm just willing each and every day to say, God, I can't do this, but you can in me. And what I'm saying today will be true in 2030. It'll be true in 2040. It'll always be true 
that if you will allow the grace of God to live in you and work through you, if you'll walk away from self-effort, self-trying, if you'll stop trying to get better and will you just surrender your life to him, his ways, his purposes. It's an unbelievable thing that starts to happen. It's like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard of old, don't, don't murder, and you think you guys have all got it together. I tell you that don't hate. Like, I want to change your heart. And they're like, what? How does that happen? That's impossible. The indwelling Christ in you changes everything about you. Grace, grace. Father, I pray today as we go. Grace and peace. I pray today, Father, that I will hopefully have been faithful to you in my time here to preach your word. And This is so central to your word. In fact, the basis of our relationship with you is grace. Lord, I simply call us to trust in nothing else but the grace of Jesus Christ. To allow your grace to flush and wash away our past, our sins, who we are. To give us a new identity, to give us new hope. And to understand that this grace is always constant and consistent. It's not earned you're not fickle. You don't relate to us in whether or how we're performing, but your posture is gracious in nature, always reaching out to us. And Lord, help us to see actually that this grace, wow, it is way beyond what we could ever deserve because it now becomes through your Holy Spirit the way that you change our lives and make us into who you always intended us to be. May our lives be grace-filled. And may this church be grace-filled. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.